native stories. And my name is Nanea Lo, and I'll be your host for today. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be back from this long hiatus, and I'm happy to announce the new series on treaties. So it's our treaty series. This series will go over histories that have transpired and what has segued us, Indigenous and Native folks, to the space we are today in present history. So treaties, we feel, would cover a lot of information or kind of put together the missing pieces of what has transpired throughout history, and so that's why we wanted to cover it. Some of the questions that we'll be covering today are, where was the treaty signed? Who signed the treaty? When was the treaty signed? And why did was the treaty signed at all? We decided to do a switch up on our podcast. So it's going to be very precise and around 15 to 20 minutes. We hope you enjoy it. My name is Ulamila Danginavanoa. I'm an Itoke indigenous Fijian woman. Born and raised in Fiji, um, I'm from Ekitayawe in Kandavu and maternal links to Nasila in Rewa. I'm a graduate student at the uh, Center of Pacific Island Studies master's program at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. I did my bachelor's in sociology and social work at the University of the South Pacific in Fiji and also graduated my postgraduate diploma in sociology at the main campus. And my research interests are in the areas areas of culture, gender empowerment, equality, and equity, especially in terms of the importance of Indigenous voices and epistemologies in creating solutions at the grassroots level. The treaty that I'm talking about today is the Treaty of the Session. So it's basically the deed of session that was signed in Fiji on the 10th of October, 1874, and when Fiji was ceded to Great Britain. I just want to go on record and say that I am not a... Expert when it comes to Fijian history, I think there are other academics and scholars that could talk about this more, but I'm coming from an indigenous perspective. So the Mbawan chief, Fratisaru Dakambao, and 12 other chiefs in Levuka, which was the capital of Fiji back then. And they did so because they thought that um, Fiji would best go in that direction of development when they when Fiji was ceded to Great Britain. But they had agreed to cede possession and full sovereignty of, of Fiji and the Fijian islands that is, that it is now. So Fiji inherited the laws of England when it was ceded under Great Britain. And so with that, land was also a big issue that Ratusaro Dakamba brought to the forefront with the British. But I also want to say that Fijians, just like Hawaiians, just like all, all other Pacific places, land is an intrinsic part of life, the connection to each other, the connection to our ancestors, our past and present. And we refer to it as, as Mbalin Dokondoka says, we say Nangao Vanua, or my land, or land that sustains me from which I eat. So essentially the land is the people. So when we we talk about our identity, we say, I am from this land because we are connected to that land with our ancestors. And so when the treaty, when the deed of session was signed, uh, Fiji 
to impose feudal systems upon the the Fijian the Fijian land and how it was distributed or how it was owned and so and he talks about how the the signing of the treaty or the the native act whatever came after that was brought about alienation in terms of land ownership and how we see land now and so when fiji the, what this cause is saying is that the feudal systems that worked in the english society was brought upon and structured within the fijian society without any i would say consultation in terms of how the indigenous fijians viewed ownership of land and how things were done from an indigenous perspective so to answer the the question what agreements have been broken history states that prior to the Dido session Ratu Sarah Dakambao had expressed concern to the British Crown about the protection of Fijian rights especially the indigenous rights to land but I think that the British took into account that Fiji being where located primarily in the middle of the Pacific and it's it's known as the hub of the Pacific because people go through Fiji to go to the other parts of the Pacific but <clears throat> the fact that the british saw this this opportunity to develop um this this country into what it is now and so they took they took the Dr. Sarumbao's ex- concerns um but then they did not incorporate it into the the laws i mean the acts that came after which was the native land um ordinance which was changed um twice i think from 1800s to the 1900s which is now the native land act um in the 1940s um which is now the bill 17 that was changed just this year which caused um a lot of contention in Fiji but i feel from my personal opinion i feel that um the british had not had in some ways upheld the agreement but also in other ways they also didn't because the native land trust board was established to see to the uh, protection of the rights of of fijian people but then there's also that bit where the government also comes in and changes the the laws when they see fit So back to the question the British felt that promising that to the Fijian people and Ratsara Dakumbao the protection of Fijian rights would restrict their ideas to development especially in terms of the economy and yeah but they also because in the history books it says that it paints the British as these heroes they came in and took Fiji under their wing in the time of um industrial revolution in England but then i would also say that it also caused a lot of alienation in the the indigenous people because they brought in indentured laborers when they wanted to develop the land and so it changed the whole dynamic of the fijian society now because now we have the indo-fijians are like the the second biggest population in fiji and so 
they changed the dynamics of the race and the population within Fiji. And so when they brought in indentured laborers, I just wanted to reiterate that the Native Land Trust Board was established to kind of keep that promise between the Fijian chiefs and the British uh, crown. But then the Fijian land now is owned by Matangalio clans in the Fijian um, indigenous village setting. And also, but 17% is owned by the crown or the government. And so that was one way that the British saw that they had um, accomplished. They kept their promise to the Fijian chiefs, but also developed. So it's it's a whole, um, the land tenure system is a whole complex. It, it's really complex, but so it's essentially owned by clans within the Fijian village and everything that in terms of development, well, before the Bill 17 was passed, had to go through the clans. But now that it has changed through the Bill 17 that was passed this year in August, the government saw it fit to, to take away that clause that says that the, the clans have these the rights to say no to um, development. Yeah, so the, the Bill number 17 took away that clause in which the, um, the Fijian Matangali system, the, the clans could say no to developments. And so now the in order to kind of boost the tourism industry in 2021 because of the pandemic, the government saw fit to do that. But then going back to the the treaty of the, the deed of session, it can also be ridiculed and and looked at from the point of view of how the English feudal system was placed on a society that that was alien to the ways in which in which um, land was divided uh, under the English system, because in Fiji it's um, it's through your um, your clan, your your family, your your father's side, the patrilineal uh, line, and so. Imposing this on indigenous people would kind of take away that whole concept of um, family and of um, of sharing and connection to the land because the English feudal system is like you're the landlord and you know people if you're living on it's kind of the the thing we're do, doing now right um, there's a landlord there's a serf there's a I forgot what's the, <laughs> but yeah. So you, um, if you if you stay on um, a landlord's land, and then you have to pay or you have to give like um, a certain amount of taxes to the landlord, and so this whole system was alien to the indigenous Fijian people, and um, it kind of broke that um, the promise that the British gave to the chiefs when um, they ceded Fiji to Great Britain. But then um, it was also upheld through the Native Land Trust Board. So you can see from two different, two differing um, perspectives. And so now the Native Land Trust Board, also known as Itoke Lands Trust Board, yeah, is is tasked. Its its duties are still the same, but as I've said, with the changing times and the need to boost the tourism industry, the government in 2021 changed it to the Bill 17, gave more power to the developers and people that wanted to change the tourism is seen as such a big commodity back home. So I was going around that time to create the circumstance for signing this agreement. 
Fiji was ceded to Great Britain from from the history books that I've read in in high school. It, said, it states that the 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 chiefs were in a rush to give Fiji away because of the circumstances with the the American government at that time. So funny because um, my history teacher used to say that Fiji is the only country that freely gave themselves away to the British. So the Americans came in to collect their debt and the Fijians couldn't, a uh, Fijian chief couldn't pay. And so they ran to, they sent a letter to the crown, to Queen Victoria at that time, kind of seek refuge and protection. And so Queen Victoria stated, I don't know, I might be wrong, but... <laughs> This is kind of like a, a shot, in, but Queen Victoria stated that um, in order to have protection, you have to come under and be like a colony under the, the British crown. And so Fiji, Fiji became seated because of that and also because the chiefs at that time wanted to, they were desirous of securing the promotion of civilization and Christianity and increased trade and industry within the islands. Well, I think that Fiji was a a great investment for the crown because when they came out to the to the British crown that they needed protection. I think that the crown could not let let Fiji go. A lot of things happening in the world at that time. There was um, the Slavery Act that was trying to abolish the whole thing about using slaves on plantations. And so when Fiji came in and asked to be ceded to Great Britain. The British saw it as an opportunity to kind of have the strategic location within the Pacific to control, you know, the economic um, viability of this small country. But then also, it could all it would. I think it signaled for them a time to like spread out into the South Pacific. So, how has this affected the native people of today? I would say that funny because before coming to the sorry before studying higher education and coming to grad school I always thought that history our history started from the uh, the arrival of the British uh, just because that's what we were we were sorry we, we were taught back in school in primary school and high school and so I think that the organization of our history has become so dependent on like dependent on the history of the British and we can see it in the school systems and we still use the British structures that were left behind in organizing and also the the system of the political system that are in place as well conflated the way we use British structures because how can we you know move forward as an indigenous people and put the indigenous issues in the forefront when we're still using structures that are there to alienate people from their land and from voicing their own opinions. And so I think that the deed of session, what it signaled was a, was a change in the ways in which we structured ourselves in the in terms of land ownership possession. So the ordinances that were passed, the acts that were passed right down to the 1900s, the land, Native Land Act in the 1900s, and to the Bill 17 now, has pushed us further and further away from what we know as Indigenous 
uh, epistemology of like you know of ownership of caring of of non or like our position in terms of positionality in terms of land and connection to the land and so I don't know the it has affected the the ways in which we see land because right now we see land as a resource but back then our ancestors saw land as an ancestor so I read this book by a Maori scholar who talks about how the, the the Waikato River is seen is the first river to be acknowledged as a as an ancestor as a person instead of just being a resource and so bringing back that land taking uh, taking away the the whole notion of oh this land needs to be developed in order for us to move forward how can we place the, those indigenous perspectives back on you know developing the land for the people and by the people instead of just seeing it as a resource. And so I feel like the structures that are still in there today are still affecting people, even though it happened like a hundred and something years ago in 1874, it's still happening now, but just in different ways because land is such an important part of how we live, how we are, and who we are, and who we identify as. Mahalo for sharing with us. For everyone listening, stay tuned for the next episode on Native Stories for our treaty series. And if you enjoyed this episode of Native Stories, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help us to get new listeners, grow the show, and keep putting out new content that you enjoy. You can follow us and like us on Facebook. Just search Native Stories, or we're on Instagram at Our Native Stories. You can also follow her on Instagram at M-I-S-S-C-A-G-I-N-A-V-A-N-U-A, or her poetry IG at A-F-I-J-I-A-N-D-A-U-G-H-T-E-R. So mahalo nui for tuning in and ahui ho. We'll see you next time.